electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight, Uber higher after its first earnings report since going public. It has been a rocky start for the new company. Gene Munster, the earnings machine, will be here in just a few minutes to just to break it down. Plus, the Dean Evaluation is here, and you will not believe where he is finding the best deals in the market. He'll be here to name names. We start off with the commodity crush. Oil taking a deep dive into the close, settling down 4% today. Crude is now down 12% in the past month. And copper, typically a leading economic indicator, is also down 9%. Check out shares of U.S. Steel. That stock is down a whopping 22%, hitting fresh lows. So is the commodity market sending a warning sign to the rest of the world? Are we living in a new slow growth reality? Guy. Yes, but before I ask the question, welcome back. Thank You've been you. missed. It's, it's yeah. isn't it great to, to have Melms back? back. What was the question? No, I know what the question was. <laughs> New, the slowing commodities move, move lower. Is it a slowing growth? Absolutely it is. If you say otherwise, I think you're just not paying attention. You know, you go to U.S. Steel, for example. You want to talk about steel stocks. U.S. Steel in March of last year was a $45 stock headed to 50 easily before President Trump started all this tariff talk, rightly or wrongly. That stock, and Tim Seymour said it the other day, is trading like it's going out of business now, sub-13 on an S&P 500 that's basically around all-time highs. That's telling you something. Freeport McMoran below 10 bucks. that's telling you something. The move in crude oil, despite all the noise around it, is a significant move. That's telling you something. Now, central banks will think by lowering rates that somehow magically will help. That will hurt, in my opinion. So they're doing it wrong. When 24% of of global sovereign bonds have negative yields, that's problematic. Right. And, of course, in the commodity crush, we haven't mentioned bond yields, which are basically confirming what commodities market right. is telling us. I agree with everything you said, except if the Fed cut, I think that market would actually go up. A lot of costs for people would go down. But mm-hmm. commodities are just that. They're commodities. So when the supply demand gets out of whack, you see really big moves. This is as bearish as I've been in a while. I'm really concerned about the economy. I really... I'm concerned that a trade deal is not happening anywhere in the near term. And so CEOs and consumers pull back because of uncertainty. The market hates uncertainty more than anything else, more than bad news even, right? If you think about stocks that have lumpy earnings, even though the earnings stream may be equal to that of a company that has, you know, very steady earnings, the company with steady earnings will trade better just because people like certainty. So I'm really not liking this market. I'm, I'm always long and I will stay long. I just I try to think about how can I hedge, um, you know, the VIX ticking up here. The one thing I did today was uh, sold some HYG short. We haven't seen the credit markets get nervous. Right. And I think that's coming. And that could happen with oil. I mean, remember, a lot of what's in HYG is related to oil. Oil looked horrible today. I do think that is a leading indicator for the economy. What I think is happening here is the markets globally, commodities, equities, bonds, are all pricing in something Guy's been talking about for a long time, which is this trade war is not going to end anytime soon. 
It could even take until after the election. That's what Trump said several weeks ago, which actually got me concerned, that he said China might be waiting until after the election to see if Trump gets voted out. That is what I think the market is pricing in at this point in time, and that's a problem. I mean, the bigger question is even if the trade war goes away, does economic slowdown abate? I mean, are we still facing a slowing global economy? My view that that's what the 10 year Treasury yield on its way back to 2% really reflects if you look at the move that we've had over the last few months. And I think that if you're taking solace as an equity bull in the fact that the SP closed up today, uh, you know, after this 5% decline from those recent all-time highs that they made, then you're looking at the wrong thing. Because, you know, last night, Jeffrey Gunlock, we all can see that is probably the smartest bond guy on the planet, tweeted out last night that that might have been a blow-off top in long-term U.S. Treasuries. Well, what did we have? We had a little bit um, of a a rally in yields this morning, back above 2.25 in the 10-year. What did they do? They closed on the low. What happened after that? Oil started to accelerate lower. Banks started trading very poorly. Your copper trades like, you know, you know, Horrible. garbage. And yep. so, you know, when you look at all those things together and you say to yourself, OK, lower yields, that should mean a lower dollar. But the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index doesn't budge. So you're seeing two safe havens right emerge here. You're seeing U.S. treasuries and you're seeing the dollar. And that combination, back to your point about if we got a rate cut that we might see equities rally. I don't think so, because I'm not certain the dollar comes in. And that combination could be really, right. really nasty. I don't think the dollar comes in. I can tell you from the people I'm talking to, there is a scramble for short term dollars right now. It is difficult to borrow dollars in the short term market. People just want dollars. Uh, I mean, so the dollar is not going lower. And just remember, even in the last QE, the dollar actually went up. So even if we had just massive QE again, you could still see the dollar go higher. Karen just said she's the most bearish she's been in a while. Well, you yeah. sound. You I'm a, sound. I mean, the I've been way. relatively bullish all right. year, and once Trump said it might last until, or the Chinese are waiting until after the election. I think that changed the game. So what does your portfolio look like now? I mean, are you short anything or are you... Lo- a what? lot of Bitcoin. <laughs> You're long no, a lot of Bitcoin. I'm, no, I mean, I actually did. I'm not short anything. I did sell a lot of my equities. I sold out of my oil. I actually even sold out of some gold at this point in time. Um, there'll probably be a point to short something very soon here. Still think healthcare is a place to be. I understand that some of these names have gotten sold off, but if you look at names like Eli Lilly, Pfizer to a certain extent, some of these biotech names, I think that's where you want to be. We've talked about UNH for a while. Obviously, that sold off a little bit over the last week, week and a half with the broader market. But if you just look at it in reality terms and in terms of valuation now compared to what's historically, I think UNH is a buy. But I'll say this, technicals, if you want to bring them in, we've mentioned this a dozen times at least. The fact that the S&P traded back up to the all-time highs, 29.45, give or take, and failed, technicians will now say the lower we go that we have a huge double top in the S&P 500. And the fact that the Russell didn't come close to testing its all-time high from the fall is really problematic. So to your point, the VIX being down today with still a 17 handle, in my world, that's way too cheap. Yeah, but can I mention one point? You know, you mentioned U.S. Steel before, and, you know, I was taking a look at it. uh, You know, it's trading at multi-year lows here. It's still above where it was, where it bottomed out back in 2016. But you see equity implied volatility is just starting to tick up. It's still well below where it was in 2016 when it looked like it really was going out of business. And when you think about the price action here, I think 
can take a look at the CDS, that's the credit default swaps on the debt, that's insurance against the debt, it's actually blowing out right now. Now, it's not blowing out to levels where it was in 2016, but these are the sorts of things you kind of want to start thinking about. And that goes to your point about HYG. You know, we don't talk about HYG until things start getting hairier, and then we have like an HYG bug up on, uh, you know, on this thing. But I think it's really important to take a look at it. And I just want to make one other point. You know, you mentioned about the, the tariffs, and they started on aluminum and steel back in March of 2018, and letter X was trading, where was it? it 44 and a half It's down 75% since then. And then I see a, blo- a post on the Wall Street Journal's Daily Shot this morning saying that actually these tariffs have not been good for steel jobs in America. So you put those two things together and you say to yourself, oh my goodness, you know, steel is not doing well here. These companies are actually not doing well. The people that use steel for inputs are not doing well. We're not adding jobs. We're going to get into an election season and things could get really, really hairy here because if no one's winning this trade war, then we got a problem. And I'll just go back to, if you're looking at it through the lens of the stock market, you're looking at the winner of this trade war altogether wrong. You know, investors at home are in your position, Karen, where they're always long. They will always be long in their portfolios. But what do you do in this market environment? Well, I do. Normally what I like to do, I say when things trade down in integers, you know, that I like to buy and buy when there's blood on the street, even if it's your own. I'm actually not really buying anything right now because I think it could get materially worse. I think it wouldn't shock me at all to see some positive trade rhetoric in a tweet somewhere. That wouldn't surprise me. But I think each time we're going to have less and less bang for that tweet because companies are really are are in not disarray. That's the wrong word, but they're confused. And that makes them sort of tentative. And tentative isn't a good thing for the economy. So I don't really do a lot. I I don't panic and sell things, but I'm going to wait and uh, sit on cash. I think we will see a bigger downdraft to to employ that cash. Quick point. I think this is really interesting to note. This week we had two really high growth, high valuation names in the tech space. We had Workday and we talked about it the other night. They reported and the stock sold off about 5%. I think it was kind of bounced a little bit over the last day or so. But this is a company on a gap basis that loses a lot of money, like a lot of these new issues that have come to market and have done very, very poorly, if you think about some of them. And I think it's interesting to see that if that were to top out, we saw Palo Alto Networks. This was also a darling. It's down an awful lot in a very short period of time. When you start losing some of these darlings that people were just kind of dismissing valuation and dismissing gap losses, that sort of thing, that's one of the things you really don't want to see when you see the S&P 500, which looks like it made a massive double top or head and shoulders or whatever you want. So you don't want to lose those high sentiment kind of names. And I think we might be starting to lose those right now. All right. So where can you find value in today's market? Who better to ask than the dean of valuation himself, Aswat Damodaran? He joins us from San Diego. Professor, thanks so much for being with us again. Thank you for having me. Um, So let's start right off with where you're finding value. And and you say go to the stocks that have exposure to China, which is they're the areas people are fleeing. I think think you have to make a choice. Do you want value or do you want safety? You kind of have both in this market. Because you want safety. There is no safe place in this market. You can't buy high dividend yield stocks. You can't buy high cash flow stocks. They're not going to provide you the protection on price. So if you want value, you've got to go where it's darkest. And it's darkest right now for companies that are most exposed to China. The Boeings, the Caterpillars, the NVIDIAs, the, the Apples. And I agree with, um, with everybody on there, which is the market is pricing in an extended trade war, which means if you're buying these stocks, you're not buying them for the near term, you're buying them for the long term. Now, how much of a strong stomach you have, but that's what I'd look at. Um, when people talk about this market, they like to say not just uh, value, but safety. 
Uh, when you say high dividend stocks, do you mean the typical dividend payers such as the consumer staples names, Procter & I mean, yeah. are, are those stocks value in your view or no? Well, the, the value, as long as you're okay, just collecting the dividend and not looking at the price because don't expect price safety on these stocks. You might collect your dividends, but the price is going to be affected by what's happening in the overall market. It takes a very special personality to not think about the price. But if you have that, then maybe you can just collect the dividends, not check your brokerage account for a couple of years and come back in 2021. Uh, hey, this is Brian Kelly. So I just want to follow up on that then. So you're, you're thinking that we're in a multi-year bear market, come back in 2021? Well, if you're it, it, not necessarily a bear market, but a market where prices are not going to be protected. I mean, to the extent that this trade war continues and it con continues to inflict damage, stock prices can go anywhere. And it doesn't matter how much of a dividend yield you have, what cash flow protection you have, I think prices are going to be impacted across the board. So if you're looking for safety in the sense of I'm going to collect my dividend, my stock is going to be pretty protected. I think you might be looking in the wrong place because this is a market that's going to be volatile. Because I think politics, as much as economics, is going to play a role for the next 18 months. And that's going to mean that there's going to be no quick resolution to any of the big problems that are hanging over the market. Uh, Professor, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. When you think about safety, uh, obviously you have to think about the balance sheet and how much debt companies have. How mm -hmm. do you think about that in doing your analysis? Well, I, I, I worry about companies like Tesla, which in a sense have used the good times to borrow money to the hilt. And if there is a, if there is a downturn, they are going to feel the heat. So to that extent, I'm looking for cash flow coverage in terms of can they service the debt. And some companies have overreached. They've used, in a sense, they've used the good times as an excuse to borrow. And to be quite honest, I don't understand this focus on borrowing, given that the tax benefits of borrowing have dropped by about 50% in the last two years. It's almost like companies are on autopilot when it comes to debt. Professor, there's a lot of people that feel, and I'm not saying they're mistaken, but a lot of people feel that if the Fed does cut, that's somehow going to uh, get the market back on solid footing. I take the other side, but do you, where do you fall in the camp, Fed cut, market goes higher or lower? I think the Fed's a follower, not a leader in this game. I think the bond market is essentially setting the tune and saying, we think growth is going to be low. That's a message I'm getting from low bond yields. I think the Fed, at best, can follow along. It can't do much to change the course of what bond yields are doing. Professor, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. As well to Moderin. Uh, anyone buying these? No, D Dan is. Well, <laughs> I haven't even. The question no, hasn't uh, come out of my mouth. I think, yet. I think what's no. really important, what Karen said earlier, is that you know she's always long, but um, she's very bearish, but she's not panicking. And I think that's really important. I think we've already seen what can happen when sentiment gets really bad. In early 2012, or excuse me, 18, we had a 12% peak to top decline. Then we had a 20% one in Q4 2018, and we've come back. So now we're down. We made a new high. We're down 5%. But things, as we push this thing out, and as the Fed has fewer options, things get dicier. So we know what the range is. To the downside, you know that there's 2350, 2400 in the S&P 500. That's where they could go. If you're not realistically thinking about that as a possibility this year, then you're doing this wrong, okay? But that being said, none of us on this desk at 2350 or 2400 in Q4 were saying to sell there, you know, because we knew, though, there's, there's good fundamentals 
underlying this sort of thing. And my last point is that if the Fed does a surprise rate cut, and we've seen this before in other crisis periods, you may get a short squeeze, but it is not a good thing in the throes of a crisis by any means. You want to sell that. And I would, I would add to that, coming up into June, if we get this sell-off that we're all, we've all been relatively bearish here, let's say we get a sell-off coming into the June Fed meeting. I'm not saying the Fed will cut then, but the market will start to price something like that. And that might be a tradable bottom. Maybe it's a short squeeze. Maybe it's a tradable bottom. But this is in the very short term. Let's call it the next month or so. I thought Boeing bottomed quickly a couple, well, probably a month or so ago, 370, 365, 370, thereabouts. That was clearly wrong. But I'll say this. Obviously, a double whammy, China and self-imposed mistakes that they've made. But with that said, you just look at the core business of Boeing. You factor in their defense business which is remarkable. And you're looking at a stock that, in terms of valuations, probably close to its historical low. So in terms of what the professor was saying, if you can have vision for the next six to nine months, I think Boeing sets up real well. And I'm not trying to pick a bottom here. I tried to do it before unsuccessfully. But to his point, we can just sort of close your eyes for a while. Boeing's really interesting right here. Coming up, Uber reporting earnings moments ago. That conference call is underway as we speak. Fast Money friend Gene Munster will be here to break it all down. Plus, we've got a slew of retail reports after the bell as it has been a rough earnings season for the group. We'll bring you those details as the conference calls kick off. And later, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg facing the music today at the company's annual shareholder meeting. We'll tell you what he said that has all of Wall Street talking. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert jumping, uh, Uber jumping after its first report as a public company. Let's get out to Deidre Bose in San Francisco for the details. Deidre. Melissa, lots of questions so far on driver incentives, market share, the eats food delivery business. Uh, just recently, Dara Khosrow Shahi a few minutes ago calling out Lyft's conference call and talking about how the competition, the market, at least in the U.S., is changing. Have a listen. In the U.S., if you listen to uh, the, the Lyft conference call, for example, they talked about competing more on brand. And I think that competing more on brand and product is, is call it a healthier mode of competition than just throwing money at, at a challenge. Uh, so we have seen that um, uh, pencil out into the market. Will things get better, better or worse? We, we can't predict. But I think that sitting here today versus where we were three months ago, um, we're always uncomfortable in our chairs, but we're, you know, less uncomfortable, so to speak. And I think we have more of a handle on the competitive situation. And I think we feel net better. Now, that can get worse or better. Excuse me, that was Nelson Chai there. But the point is that the Lyft team was a lot more direct on its first quarterly call. It said that this year, 2019, would be peak losses. Uber, remember, is far more global and diversified. And so its team still hasn't really said anything like that. They did say that adjusted net revenue would improve and that take rates would improve. CFO Nelson Chai giving some guidance on the rest of the year, which could be lifting the stock in the after hours. He said that in the back half of 2019, Uber would see its adjusted net revenue growth growth rate accelerate 
accelerate as markets become more rational. But guys, I think we're not seeing any major moves in this stock still below that IPO price because so far we just haven't heard much regarding that path to profitability that investors really want to learn more about. Okay. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco for more reaction to Uber's earnings results. Let's bring in Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster out of Minneapolis. Gene, great to have you with us. It sounded like they're, they're not really giving much guidance what, at all. I mean, have you heard anything? Well, they kind of uh, give uh, general direction, Melissa. And let me put that. Deirdre's uh, soundbite was spot on, I think, why what caused the stock was essentially down a percent, and then it was trading up, call it 4% based on that comment. If you want to call that guidance, um, um, that's about as close as they get. And I just want to emphasize this point, is that the critical question for uh, Lyft and Uber investors is, will this be a friendly duopoly or some aggressive competition that will drain their war chests. And the commentary from Uber today was much more in the friendly camp. And while that's not uh, guidance per se, I think it does uh, change uh, the near-term tone of how investors are going to think about this story. That's true. But, I mean, when you're talking about the rivalry between Lyft and Uber, you're talking about 50 percent of Uber's business, right? So you got 50 percent that's, that's not the U.S. ride-sharing market. How does that part of the business Look, I mean, that half of the business can become more rational while the other half of the business, uh, I don't, you know, could go to hell in a handbasket for all we know. <laughs> we're, we're definitely not in the clear. We're far from that. We're probably a couple of years away from really being in the clear here. And I want to emphasize that point uh, around, yes, there were some positive comments about being more uh, friendly, at least in the U.S., but this is a company that's moving globally, 700 cities that they operate in. This is a huge operation. There is an aggressive investment pipeline in terms of their advanced technology group around autonomy. They have uh, different products, whether it's eats or freight, and they need to uh, expand and grow that. And so we're a long way out. The, the core foundations of how investors are thinking about this hasn't changed meaningfully, despite uh, some of that uh, uh, positive commentary. And that's just that, is, uh, to your point, is that this is a story that is still in transition, and the business is going to look very different a few years from now than it does today. And that's hard for investors really to give it its full vote of confidence. Gene, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. It sounded like Uber Eats was really a part of their story on the roadshow, and that's going to be, that's evolving, but it's not without competitors, DoorDash and, you know, uh, Grubhub and Postmates. And how do you think about that part of the story? So my bet, based on the commentary, is that they're going to acquire some of those other ones, Karen, that you had mentioned. Probably in the next year, they talked a lot about investing in Uber Eats. Right now, it's 13% of revenue. It grew at uh, just over 100%. It was 150% growth in the previous, in the December quarter. So it decelerated a little bit. They're investing aggressively in that. They're also experimenting around uh, uh, basically uh, riders and promoting, and they say in a friendly way, uh, non-invasive way to Uber riders to try Uber Eats. There's only 50% overlap between the two, and so they see an opportunity uh, there. I think you're, you're, you're picking up on an important point is Eats is going to be a bigger part of the, the story, but still falls under this context of investment mode and, and doesn't give a lot of clear visibility to investors around that path to profitability. All right, Gene, uh, we normally ask you to grade a quarter, but because it's Uber, we're going to ask you to rate this quarter on a scale of <laughs> one to five stars. What do you say? 
so Melissa, I'm giving it three and a half uh, stars. Uh, the positive side here is that revenue growth stabilized after declining from call it 70% to 22% over the past year was more or less at 20% this quarter. On the negative side, they're losing market share in the U.S. Lyft grew at 100% and Uber grew at call it 15%. And last is it's still a confusing road to profitability here. So three and a half stars. Wow, that's a pretty terrible, I mean, that's enough for yeah. a user to get yeah. dropped from the platform. <laughs> Gina, thank you. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thank Gene you. Munster of Loop Ventures. All right, so where, do, Dan? Uh, I, I just don't like hearing all this stuff about moonshot bets for a company that's expected to lose three, four billion dollars for the next five Karen years. Karen made a good right. point that the whole company is a moonshot. No, I, well, right. no but, <laughs> I, and, but I, I really think it's important to think about. We thought about this as Google. They were call options, and at any one point that it could have one of these hit, it would be a huge thing. It was a company that was tremendously po- profitable when they started investing like that. Investors had to trust them that they were doing it. You know, with Uber, listen, we all like Dara. He's going to be a great CEO for this company. Um, but it just seems that this is a really tough name to own in this uh, sort of time. I will tell you this, though. The options market was only implying about a 7.5% move here. And this is a stock that's actually traded relatively stable since its IPO. We know it was priced at 45, opened at 42. It's been banging around 40-ish for that period of time. So it feels pretty stable here. Yeah. Key? So three, I did the math in my head before. So three and a half out of five, that's 70%, yeah. which when I went to college, it's like less than, well, it's failing for you. For me, it was like a gentleman's failing seat. for Melissa. But that's Go not ahead. particularly good. But I, I mean, I didn't think the quarter was a disaster. I thought it was, listen, gross bookings are up 35% year over year. The take rate's down, but not commensurate with the gross booking rise. So maybe they're starting to figure it out. I understand in terms of path to profitability, there probably isn't one. But that was true for Amazon a decade or so ago as well. And I'm not trying to compare but this is a this is a revolutionary company, so maybe it's time to take a look at Uber or Lyft here. All right. For more on Uber, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I liquidated my 401k for this. It's a 401k. Great question. Sort of. But if you're wondering what to do with your nest egg as stocks slide and bonds rally, Fidelity's 401k expert is joining us later this hour. There's much more Fast Money after this. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got breaking news coming out of the White House. Kayla Tausch has got the details. Kayla. 
Melissa, the White House is kicking off a process that would set up a potential vote on the new NAFTA, the USMCA, sometime as soon as this summer. Uh, a letter was just hand-delivered by uh, Trade Representative Ambassador Robert Lighthizer to the top members of Congress that essentially would allow the White House uh, in about 30 days time or after that to submit the implementing legislation, the crux of this potential treaty up to Congress, which it then could vote on uh, within a 90-day period after that. Now, this is an essential procedural part of this process so that this vote could, in fact, be set up. The White House has said that it would hope to have this vote uh, by the August recess. That is an optimistic timeline, especially because Democrats have released statements uh, upon the reception of this letter saying it is not not a positive step. It is not a final deal yet, and they still want to make a lot of changes to the text. Melissa? All right, Kayla, thank you. Uh, Kayla Tashi in Washington. So, no deal with China, well, no new NAFTA. I don't know if it's no new. I think the one thing that it does, at least from the market's perspective, is it creates more uncertainty. It creates that political uncertainty. Now we're going to have to listen to every single day the fighting back and forth about this no new NAFTA, USMCA, whatever we're, we want to call it. I, I don't. It's certainly not a positive, and at best it's a negative. All right. Switching gears back to earnings, a slew of retailers out reporting after the bell. Gap, Ulta, Costco, all in the move on the results. For more on Costco's results, let's get the Courtney Reagan back at headquarters. Court. <laughs> So, so Costco shares have been flat to slightly down after hours here after holding relatively steady for the last two months. They did surge following that previous earnings report, but haven't done much since. Adjusted earnings stronger than expected. Revenues in line. The wholesale club posting strong comps, more than five and a half percent. The U.S. division, the strongest membership fees, seven hundred and seventy six million dollars. That's a bit below estimates, but above last year. And there was some negative drag from foreign exchange in that number. Membership renewal rates still strong at nearly 91% for the U.S. and Canada. And on the conference calls, Chief Financial Officer Richard Galanti made an address to tariffs right before going to question and answers. As you might expect, it's all over the board in terms of uh, every item and every vendor is different. In some cases, it's being passed on. Uh, in some cases, we're able to work to figure out how to move merchandise. And, uh, and then the impact of when the price increase does go through, uh, uh, it has a different impact of, of how it affects sales. Uh, we think that we're in a good position in terms of our size and our ability and our relationships with our vendors, and we'll keep you posted how it goes. Now, top categories in the quarter, electronics, health and beauty, furniture, small appliances, automotive and optical. Sounds like all of them, but it wasn't quite. Galanti also said Costco sold a $400,000 diamond ring during the quarter and a $14,000 golf simulator. Melissa, back over to you. One single yeah. $400,000 diamond ring? Yeah. I mean, more. I, they sold more diamond rings than that, but one was $400,000. I wouldn't have even thought yeah, they would keep right. that. I yeah. mean, I wonder what it would yeah. cost without the membership discount. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's crazy. Yeah. Courtney, thank you. Thanks. Courtney Reagan. Huh. <laughs> he went to Costco. He went to Costco. Is that a little blue bottle? Is that like an impulse buy? You know, when you go and you buy carry bows and stuff. Carry bows, tossing a golf simulator and a diamond ring for four hundred grand. Four hundred thousand dollars. Four hundred thousand dollars. That's crazy. Anybody like Costco here? Carter worked it a couple weeks ago, if you recall. And you know what? I still think he's going to be right. I think the reason why they're selling the stock off in the aftermarket is people looking at valuation twenty-nine times forward earnings, saying this environment is too rich. But if you sort of look at the quarter, look at their business model, I think it makes sense. So I'm more inclined to be long the stock here than short it. Yeah. It's a great company. They execute. They deliver value to the customer. I mean, it, it 
it should trade like a great customer delivers value to the customer and all that, and it does at third, just uh, you know, 29, 30 times. I, I don't own it, but it's it's not a crazy price for it here. What they said about the tariffs didn't completely give me confidence that no. that they'd be able to. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess the best you can say is they will handle it the best. That doesn't mean it's going to be good. So for me, in this environment, why would you touch this thing? It just seems like, I don't know, I'm I'm out. Sold to all of you. Mm. I would just mention for a a high single-digit EPS in sales, grower trading at uh, 29 times forward, you say to yourself, okay, where were a couple things in there that would cause me to take pause? One of them would be comp uh, store sales missed. And then, you know, that that membership renewal thing is really important, right? It's at 91%. That's fantastic. start seeing that trend lower in a difficult environment. That's why it trades at 29 times. They have that recurring revenue model. And if Amazon and Prime and all this shipping is making a dent in that, that would be one reason why you would want to exit this stock that's still up 28% from its 52-week lows in November. Speaking of retail, FedEx announcing today it will offer shipping seven days a week to keep up with the growing e-commerce demand. We've got the details. Plus, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg facing the music today at the company's annual shareholder meeting. We'll tell you what he said that's got all of Wall Street talking with Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook having its annual shareholder meeting today as CEO Mark Zuckerberg's power is called into question. Let's get to Leslie Picker in Menlo Park, California with the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa, that meeting wrapping up just a few hours ago here at Hotel Nia. All four company proposals were approved. These include the director elections, compensation, and reaffirming their auditor, Ernst & Young. But all eight shareholder proposals were rejected. That includes uh, doing away with their dual-class share structure, appointing an independent chairman uh, above and beyond uh, Mark Zuckerberg, of course, who is currently the chairman, as well as pursuing or exploring a potential breakup of the company those proposals did not pass because Zuckerberg himself controls more than 50% of the voting power in this company. However, Zuckerberg did give remarks related to his priorities, which he said has shifted away from things like growth, which have been priorities in the past. He wants to focus more on social issues, which he defines as speech and content, and said regulators should help define what is acceptable speech. There needs to be an updated regulatory framework around each of these issues. And it's not just one thing. It's on, on content regulation on, online to, to limit the spread of harmful content, um, on, on elections, and, and basically uh, governing in, in each country around the world what should be political speech. I, I don't think that our companies should be deciding that for democracies around, uh, and, and different countries around the world. In in addition to prioritizing those social issues, he's also focused on safety as well as election interference and privacy and said that Facebook is actually focused on creating what he calls private platforms. When we look back five or ten years from now, we're going to have private platforms which are as rich and as developed as the more open platforms in, in the digital town squares that we have today. So I think that that is both a, a very important product opportunity uh, that people around the world want uh, want to want a company like ours to deliver. Now, he didn't define exactly what private platforms were, but insinuated during the Q&A section that it could have something to do with cryptocurrency or potentially blockchain. Melissa. Ah, okay. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, more on that blockchain in a moment, BK. <laughs> first, first to the shareholder meeting, it sort of is quaint that Facebook holds a shareholder meeting. Mark Zuckerberg can meet with himself in a room and decide on every single proposal (laughs) put forth. 
I, you might have to technically invite the shareholders. Okay, fine. But you don't need to listen to him if you're Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> at all. And so, yeah, why? I mean, it's just a sort of a farce. Yeah. yeah it's like my marriage. I get it. Uh, no, here, yeah, I'm just, no here, here's something that's really interesting. That's not nice. Come on. I'm just saying. Um, you know what's really interesting? All this stuff that they talk about remedies, that if someone else had control of this company. So you talk about um, fines. Well, they got $45 billion in cash and they generate tons of cash. Fines, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah. Break the company up. Oh, my goodness. $525 billion market cap. The sum of the parts is probably greater. You know what I mean? So regulation, it just actually puts a huge moat around their businesses. So they're really in the driver's seat. The only thing that I think that could change management or their voting structure would be a sustained downdraft in the stock. So I don't love hearing that they're not focused on growth anymore. They're focused on right. social issues. I mean, but their earnings have held. I mean, the yeah. last yeah. earnings report was solid. Outstanding. Was solid. People aren't so. leaving the platform. Advertisers are still there. Yeah. All the metrics were extraordinarily good. And the stock traded at 205. And then you wake up this morning, it's $183 stock. I mean, it's given up a significant portion of those gains, if not all of them post-earnings. I mean, I'll say again, this was $135 stock or so. People were calling for the head of Mark Zuckerberg, I think, late last year or early this spring. With that said, I still think the stock's ahead of itself. I mean, everything Dan said is right. I think there's a very good chance it retests 165 Now for blockchain. Oh, let's, let's talk about that. Brian Kelly. Yeah, so they're, they're talking about, and we've talked about this a bit, they're talking about having a cryptocurrency. They might call it global coin or Facebook coin or something like that. Uh, it'll help them in terms of reducing the fees that they have uh, a payment system. Um, so that actually they might be able to make some money off that. Uh, so that'll be helpful. I don't think it's a bigger picture, change the company type of thing. It'll improve the bottom line. That's probably about it. You don't look at it as an entree into some sort of a much bigger payments. and. Oh, I do. I do think it's that's what I mean. It's, banking relationship. Yeah, I, if if they can get it done. It is an entree into payments in general. They've been wanting to do that for a long time. This is one way to do it. Would that be part of your bull thesis on it's this stuff? It's not really priced no? in there for that. Yeah. That'd be great. So that would just be a kicker. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Coming up, FedEx sinking today and down nearly 40% over the last year. There's something in the charts that suggests more pain could be ahead. We will explain. Plus, as volatility roils the market, a top retirement expert says to avoid making one key mistake with your 401k. She'll be here to tell us what that is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. FedEx announcing today it will start rolling out delivery seven days a week beginning next year in order to keep up with the demands of shipping partners like Amazon and Walmart. President and COO Raj Subramanian speaking to Squawk Alley this morning. Well, what we can say right now, the situation is very fluid and very dynamic. It's going to be very hard for me to talk about what the economy is going to, you know, is going to be doing in the future at this point. You know, perhaps we'll talk a little bit more about it on June 25th on the earnings call. But I got to tell you one thing, you know, it doesn't matter what the economy is doing. What is growing is the e-commerce market. And like I said, the parcel business is growing substantially and driven by e-commerce. And our investments in this space are going to be what makes a difference. Supermanian mentioned the company reports earnings next month. So Dan says the options market is implying a big move for the stock between now and then. Yeah, so using weekly options, we can look out about a month and we can look at the uh, June 28th weeklies and we can see that the at the money trial, that's the call premium and the put uh, premium is implying about an 8% move or about $12 in either direction. And listen, you know, it's great to get an update from a president COO, uh, you know, a few weeks out of their earnings. I think what the, the message there was that things are in flux, things are fluid and their guidance is going to be really important as we exit Q2. Um, so, you know, a couple charts just to look at. You know, Mel, you said earlier the stock is down 
like 40% from the 2018 all-time highs. Look at that right there. It's down about 20% just in the last six weeks alone. It's kind of getting towards that really important um, low from just about six months ago is about 150 bucks. Look at it on a five-year basis. Um, you look at 150, 140 range is really, really big support here. Um, obviously getting a little overdone, trading at about 10 times earnings. We know that those earnings uh, growth has just ground to a halt right here. Um, but really important, I guess, look at the price of options over the last five years. We're starting to get to a level where uh, investors or at least option traders are getting a little nervous here um, about a pretty much a, a potentially outsized move. I would say that a miss and a guy down um, for the second half of the year, and this stock's making new lows. I mean, it's going back to those lows from a few years ago. This move is interesting, and the reasoning makes sense on paper in that they have all these this network, they have facilities, et cetera. They get an extra day of use out of them if they go seven days a week, so they can get efficiencies out of this and leverage them. At the same time, serving the e-commerce market has been a very difficult market for them to serve, particularly because of the last mile of shipment. Funny you should say that. Now, you typically are the ones that ask the questions on this show. May I ask you a quick two questions? Is that okay? okay? You're going to know the answer. Is it safe to say, Melissa, since the beginning of 2018, the e-commerce business has increased the last 18 months? Yes. Fair to say, right? Sure. Is it also fair to say that the S&P 500 is within 5% of its all-time high? Yes, it is. Then why would FedEx, be so which is the be a $275 stock in, in the beginning January of 18 and trade 150 mm. You explain that one to me. And to Dan's point, I got to tell you, we're now trading where we traded on Christmas Eve. This is one of the few stocks that's go back oh. and tested that low. So if we don't hold 155 or so there, folks, despite valuation, which is cheap, as Tim Seymour, if you're here, would point out, this sucker's headed back to the 2016 low, which is 125. Ooh, ouch. Mm. For more Options Action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, worried that the recent volatility could put a dent in your wallet. Well, fear not, because a top retirement expert will be here to tell you how to manage your savings. More Fast Money coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. The market's wild swings can be scary as you're saving for retirement, but our next guest says there's one key to making sure it all pays off in the end. Here to give us some tips for maximizing your 401k is Gene Thompson, Senior Vice President of Workplace Investing at Fidelity. Gene, welcome back to the show. Great to have you back. Great. Thanks, Melissa. Nice to be here. Um, You say, Ashley, if investors are looking at volatility and thinking you should make changes to your portfolio, you say no, no go. That's not when you do it, no right? No go. Yeah. No. Well, when do you sometimes do it the then? Best move, well, so, so sometimes the best move is no move at all, especially in reaction to market volatility. Um, typically, the best time to do it is when you have a change in your own life. You know, whether you're going through a divorce, you're having a life event, those are times when you may want to change. Or if your time horizon changes, if you decide you want to retire earlier or you want to retire later, those would be great times to make a change, but not in reaction to what's happening in the markets. So let's say you see market decline like we saw in December or market volatility as we're seeing right now, Gene. What is the general advice for somebody? I mean, do do you use this opportunity? Do you use uh, down days in the market to add to your 401k? That's, That's not what people want to do usually. No, it feels counterintuitive to continue to contribute as the market's going down. But the beauty of the 401k is that with every paycheck that you get, whether it's weekly, biweekly, or monthly, you're contributing in. So even when the market's down, you're getting in. And over time, those balances, your money can really grow. You know, we looked back to 2009, so 10 years ago when the market really hit bottom. um, And now we can see how much those accounts have grown. 
Back in 2009, the average 401k balance was 52,000, and today it's close to 300,000. So you can really see that long-term growth. And for millennials, it was 7,000 back in 2009, and now it's almost $130,000. So staying in um, and keeping with your plan really is where we see the long-term growth for most people. That's Karen, let me ask you something. Does this move in rates that's been rather significant make you change anything in your plan, allocation or anything else? You know, given that it's such a long-term proposition, most people are in for 35, 40 years and in investing in the market, that again, even if the rates move, they're probably going to move again. And so what we're finding is actually in 401k plans, most people are invested in target date funds. Now more than half are in target date funds, and for millennials, it's over 70%. And so many of them are, are you know, using that professional management to ensure that they stay on track because they don't have the skill, will, or time to do it on their own and or to follow you know, rates, bond market as closely probably as they should if they were going to do it on their own. I mean, it's it's right to think of retirement as a long-term investing process, but what if you're more like five years away or 10 years away from retirement? Should things change, particularly when you see a market downdraft? Yeah, so if you're five, 10 years away, you definitely want to keep tabs on it. But the key thing to remember is that you could be in retirement for another 25 or 30 years. We find that most people underestimate their longevity. They actually don't believe that they're going to live until they're 90, and many will. So you still want to make sure that you're not too conservative. But if you're getting closer to retirement and the market's going down, you do want to keep tabs on it to ensure that you're not taking on too much risk or too little risk, because you do have another potentially 30 years to go. Great advice, Gene. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Jeannie Thompson of Fidelity. Guy, which piece of advice so, do you, do you like? Slow and steady wins the race, mm-hmm. and you've got to be in the market for the long haul, and you can't let, yourself, can't let the noise get to you. And I understand that the, with the, this show is now 12 and a half years old, and, and we've probably been a very difficult show for the industry to stomach because <laughs> they get calls. I heard Dan Nathan say this. I heard Karen say Short this. this PK, five puts, and it blah, makes blah, it blah. very difficult. But I'll say this. I also think that we've raised the bar in terms of the questions that people ask. So although we can be painful to the industry, uh-huh. I also think we've made the industry better. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think the important thing that Gene said is it depends on when you're going to be retiring, right? So your time frame matters a lot when it comes to investing. We talk a lot about relatively short-term trading and investing on this show. But if you're a millennial, you've got 35 years. Who cares about what rates are going to do? You know, let, let it sit there. Let it be all long-term. If you've got five or ten years, you better pay attention to what's going on in the market. Yeah, I would just say that she's also talking about 401k investing. So that's retirement investing. And, you know, a lot of people that we talk to who are not in the industry and they don't watch fast money surprisingly um, they don't look <laughs> at their 401k balances too frequently right and that's probably the best thing that you can do over the long haul because you're not going to get freaked out on some near-term volatility and make a mistake up next final trade time for the final trades go around the horn dan nathan yeah xlf is at the midpoint of his three-month range at 2640 i think it sees 25 before 28 brian kelly Oil looks just terrible. Looks like it's got a cough due to cold cell XOP. Karen Fireman. Yes, that's our fidelity guest. You know, not time to panic, but I am concerned that the uh, the debt markets are actually going to be in for some trying times. So I'm short the HYG. Guy down. A lot of rain out there behind you there, Lots Melma. Yeah. Right. It's like torrential, torrential rain. Torrential rain. But you know, a lot of things have been trading. A lot of things trade in Chicago and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Now, Dan Nathan made fun of me weeks ago for bringing that up. (laughs) More so than normal. normal. Meanwhile, here's the stock at an all-time high. CME will get you done.
All right, that does it for us. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow for more Fast. In the meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.